Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. This week, we are doing our first ever crossover podcast. We're going to be talking with Michelle Greenfield, a veterinary student at Cornell University, who is the founder and host of Aquadocs, the podcast that is the place to learn about all things aquatic medicine. Aquadocs is where experts share their experiences, knowledge, and stories from the world of aquatic medicine. Their mission is to make information and news more accessible to listeners of all ages and experience levels. So join us as we talk to Michelle and delve into the world of veterinary aquatic medicine. Welcome to the Pac-Man podcast. This week we are having a lot of fun because we're doing something a little bit different than we have in the past and we're doing a crossover episode. Dun dun dun! <laughs> First so, ever crossover episode. Right. Super exciting. So if you haven't checked it out, there is another uh, podcast called Aquadox, and it is very cool. And we're going to talk about, talk to the founder um, of that and the host of that show. Uh, and we're going to just talk about how, how she got to where she's at and um, looking into veterinary, the veterinary side of things. So my name is Cindy. I'm Kat. And our guest today is Michelle Greenfield. Hello, Michelle. Hi. So um, we're just going to start off. We're going to have a conversation, basically about kind of what, how we got, how you got to where you're at. Um, and since we're not on the veterinary side of things, <laughs> we thought it would be a fun one to to talk to you about how you got to where you are. Kind of, we have some uh, blogs on our our website about how you get to where you are in marine mammals and the marine mammal science, because um, everybody's path is very different. Um, and so we wanted to kind of see where you started off. So with that in mind, um, our first kind of question is, uh, when did you know what you wanted to do for your career? And has that changed at all? And what do you do for your career? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that might I be a good do? intro. <laughs> yeah. What do I do for my career? Well, my career is very much still growing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like you said, no two people have the same path. And uh, so my story starts pretty much, I'm sure like most people's where I fell in love with the ocean and the animals and I said, this is definitely what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do, but I love the ocean. I love the animals. Um, I want to do something with that. Exactly. Exactly. And so, I mean, even I have this about me book from when I was younger. I think it was, I made it in kindergarten and it says like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I drew a picture of myself and I was a dolphin trainer. And I was like, I'm going to be a dolphin trainer. Um, and I still like kind of want to be a dolphin trainer. Um, but I have had a lot of opportunities over the past couple of years where I've worked with dolphins. I've been able to work with penguins and sea lions um, in training aspects as well as veterinary aspects. And I realized that I really love the training because you get to really learn an animal's behavior and you get mm -hmm. to work specifically with certain individuals and notice how they have different patterns over time, how they shift their behavior, what environmental factors, causes them to change their behavior. And I really loved that. But then when I got interested um, and had opportunities within the veterinary side of things, I realized, oh, behavior is actually just 
one aspect of what makes an animal and an animal and a human a human. And so Mm -hmm. I realized that, oh, like I'm actually really interested in this other side of things too. Like what's going on inside them? What cells do they have? If they hurt themselves, how do they fix that? Or what do we do to fix them? And does that change their behavior? Does that change how they interact with other animals? Um, Can they go on living or is this a debilitating behavior? And so like that was kind of that shift in my mind where I said, I still want to work with the animals. I still love the ocean, but there's this other really cool aspect where I can be learning about medicine and it kind of, it all, it all ties together. So that was, that was how I got involved. Um, And then it's just kind of continued to grow on and, and shape from there. Yeah, I, I had a, a very similar thing starting off. I in my I have a sixth grade journal entry book that our teacher would write a writing prompt every day, and so one of them was "I want to be when I grow up," and I wrote in there, "I want to work with dolphins." <laughs> so I have this a, a very similar origin story, as you would say. I mean, of, I still I still want to be a princess. Um, <laughs> You are a princess, Michelle. You are a princess. (laughs) Well, well, thank you. I did. I actually worked at Disney World for um, a little bit of time. And so um, I got to wear for their like not so scary Halloween party. I got to wear a princess dress like in Magic Kingdom. And so I lived that fantasy. There you go. Let's check that mark off the box. I got a dolphin trainer with the (laughs) U.S. Navy's Marine Mammal Programs. Like I lived that. Um, I didn't get to be an astronaut, the other thing that, you know, you always want to mm. do, but I talked and interviewed an astronaut on my podcast a couple And weeks that ago. one was so cool. I listened Maybe. to that one. I was like, a vet's in space. What? Yeah. Dr. <laughs> so much fun. Dr. Rick Lenahan is amazing. Um, for those of you listening, a little plug, you should definitely go check out that episode. Um, sure. But that was, yeah, he's, he was super cool. So I got, I didn't, I didn't go to space, but I talked to somebody in space. It's close. So, it's about as close as all of us are ever going to get. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> so um, on that, I know you were talking about training and I had, uh, I got to go to the Dolphin Research Center down in the Keys and got to do some training things there. And that's actually where I realized, you know, as much as I, training dolphins would be super awesome, but I actually realized that I didn't want to do like captive research and I wanted to do, you know, research in the wild. Um, so that was an important part of learning what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Um, and I remember in the last episode of your podcast, you were talking to a friend of yours and you both worked at Dolphins Plus, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that I, I have a friend that worked at Small World. Oh, it's uh, a very small world. Marine Mammal World. <laughs> very small. But I realized like, oh, well, actually, you know, I, I know somebody that worked there um, and she did her, her graduate work with us at the Wild Dolphin Project um, when I was out there. Um, so how, how was Dolphins Plus? I got, I got to go there, but I didn't, get, I didn't work there or anything like that. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. That was the first internship that I got to do during college where I was really hands-on with marine mammals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it was really exciting because I worked with the veterinary department. So I worked under Dr. Joe Fava. Um, and that was just, it was a great experience for me as a college student to see what is being an aquatic veterinarian like. Um, and what do you what do you have to do when you're helping to care for dozens of animals and these and it made me realize the distinction between something like small animal practice where you have clients coming in every single day with their pets, but every day it's a different pet. Sure, you have your your routine clients, but you're probably gonna see you know fluffy 
once every six months, once a year, and then Spot will come in and um, all of your common dog cat names there. Right. <laughs> but, but with the dolphins, they're there every day and you're working with those same individuals every day. And so it's, it's really cool when you're working with aquatic animals and even terrestrial animals in managed care facilities where you're able to do research studies with them, you're able to really pick up if one day you notice they always eat this amount of food, you know, every day they're excited for their training sessions, and then one day they're just not into it at all, like that's a major red flag for a veterinarian mm -hmm. to say, okay, like what's going on? And, and you get to see that rather having a client necessarily come to you, the trainers come to you, but, but you're also there. Um, so that, right. that was really cool. Um, and I learned a lot there just about veterinary medicine in general and, you know, how do you do a blood smear and how do you take a blood sample from a dolphin and things like that, which are critical for the care for the animals. Um, and also just like pretty basic things as being a veterinarian. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine like, yeah, that's something in all vet schools that you learn about how, where to take blood from a dolphin. I mean, obviously, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, all the all the Not. vet schools cover that. Yeah, right. <laughs> very common because that's what you're going to come across all the time. <laughs> for, the, for those of you listening who who don't actually know where you would do that, um, typically the most common and easy place is on the tail flukes. Um, there's really great vein there that you can take blood samples from. Um, versus a dog, you're typically taking out of the cephalic vein, um, or you can take a jugular, um, which is on the, which is on the neck. So a little right. bit different. I yeah, was and just I know. Ask you where you would take that. So thank you for answering that already. I was like, ooh, I want to know. I want to know where you take blood from a dolphin. And you know what? The only reason I know that is because when I was at the Dolphin Research Center doing those week-long courses, they showed you their husbandry behaviors. And so they're like, well, we teach them to flip on their back so we can get their fluke up. And then they practice doing a uh, doing it without actually taking the blood. They just you know do that behavior first, practicing. This is what we're going to do, and then some point we're going to stick you with the needle. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and that practicing is actually such a critical component of mm -hmm. caring for animals in managed care facilities because um, when you're working with these animals, these are, you know, five, six hundred pound dolphins, sometimes a little bit smaller, uh, and you're not just going to be able to, you know, force them to do anything. Like all of the training <laughs> that you do is by, it's volunteer, and so you're asking that, do that dolphin, like, will you please present your tail flukes for a blood draw? You're not necessarily asking it like that, but there are hand signals asking them to do this behavior. And if they choose not to, they don't not have much you can to do. Exactly. They don't have to participate. But if they choose to, it means that they trust in you and you've built that relationship with them. And so because of that, you have you have to do so much practicing. And it can be as simple as just asking the dolphin to to turn over, present their flukes, you reward that behavior. Mm -hmm. Maybe you then work it up to, okay, you turn over, present your flukes, and then I'm just going to, you know, pinch your tail fluke, reward that behavior. And eventually you build it up into the full behavior you want, and then you need to work on duration. So, you know, right. we're just going to do a quick stick. Great. That's awesome. That's the behavior we want. But what if you're a really sick animal and we need to get multiple vials, vials of blood? Right. We need, you know, a lot of that. Well, that's not going to happen in 20 seconds. We might need to build that animal up to, you know, four, five, six, seven minutes and so on to be able to sit there patiently and allow us to get that blood. And then there's a whole process of turning them because they obviously need to breathe air, they're mammals. Um, and that, and like that, that's a huge process. So that, that behavior that you had to see at DRC, which is an incredible facility, mm -hmm. that is so important to veterinary medicine. And I don't think you don't necessarily realize that when you're first going in or if you just show up one day and you see it, 
but they're just like, yeah, put the dolphin on the thing and pull it and can stick them in. That's fine. No. Exactly. And that works, you know, with your small dogs and cats. Sure, you have somebody restrained, you take the blood yeah. sample, you move on with your day. But when you're working with these large animals, that's, that's just not going to be possible. And you don't want to put them in that situation. You really want to build that relationship. So then yeah. they're giving it to you willingly rather than, you know, having to force something that just shouldn't be happening. Yeah, right. And but then, you, you know, stressing the animal by doing that too. Exactly. You know, unnecessarily. Can, can you imagine trying to be a, a dolphin wrangler <laughs> to be the person that you would have to? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it just, it wouldn't be great to be that person. It also just wouldn't be great. Not for the animal. In, in, in general. And that's definitely not something that happens within the industry. The only time that you're going to take those types of measures is if that animal is really sick and there are no yeah. other ways to get them safely to a place where you can take care of them. And right. then even as you're, you know, getting that animal to a place where they can receive that medication, whether it's slightly, you know, on land, like on a dock or being, you know, taken elsewhere. There are so many steps involved in that process to ensure that that animal is well, is well cared for and everything is done to minimize the stress and anything that could happen to the animal. Yeah. I don't think that people, yeah, you're right. That don't understand like that husbandry thing is such a huge critical thing. And if you think about it with dolphins in the wild, you know, all the behaviors that they show are learned behaviors, right? They're learning it from their parents. They're learning it from their aunts and uncles and others in the, in the society. You know, they have little play fights that they learn how to fight together. You know, you can see the older uh, animal on the side being like, mm, okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's what you do there. Okay. Oh no, no, you, you do this better. Open your mouth this way or whatever so that you can tell that they're learning to that and it takes time just like kids like human kids so you have to build up that repertoire and so they start when those animals are so young to like you said okay flip over for a second good job you know <laughs> click or train and then you know and then keep going from there so it's it's just such an important uh part that you're right people just don't think about yeah and i think like that kind of leads nicely into one of our other questions which is you know speaking about aquatic animals in veterinary medicine. What is vet school like and how do the aquatic animals fit in there? So, I mean, you obviously mentioned you're working with different organizations there, but I mean, do you have specific classes for marine mammals or is that something that you sort of have to seek out elsewhere? I wish we had more classes specifically on animals, <laughs> um, but sadly, no. But um, I mean, vet school is, it's a four-year program typically, though some schools do it slightly differently. Um, but you, you're learning the basics of how to care for an animal. Because when it comes down to it, whether it's a dolphin, a cat, a goat, um, they all have the underlying same organs, anatomy, mm -hmm. physiology. And so, like, if a cat has kidney failure, like, you should be able to treat that. You should know what is happening and how do you treat that. And if a dolphin has kidney failure... There might be slightly different drugs that you're going to use depending on you know what has been documented in the species but more or less it's going to be it's going to be a similar thing your kidney is not functioning properly your intake and output aren't working properly okay we need to fix this we need to we need to care for this animal so a lot of what we do is just you know we spent the first year really working on anatomy because the only way you can know what you're looking at is if you learn what you're looking at but we learned the, you know, the muscles, the bones, the attachments, all the nerves. Uh, you make it through neuroanatomy and you say, wow, like, <laughs> that was really hard. I still don't think I know much of anything, but wow, like our bodies, how do we stay alive? When you, when you go to vet school, I just leave every day and like, how 
is my body working? Like I should be dead right now because of what's going on. Seriously. So I teach <laughs> biology and I taught anatomy and physiology, human anatomy and physiology at, at the college. And I try to Im imply that like every day I teach, I'm like, look at all that's going on. And the fact that most of the time nothing goes wrong is amazing because it's so complex. And just having them learn the human anatomy and, and granted a lot of the stuff is the same between different animals, but there are some differences. So, I mean, I think that's, I've heard that, you know, vet school is almost harder than medical school in, in that respect, because you have so many different animals that you have to kind of know the little differences between rather than just being humans. I mean, I haven't been to med school, so I, I can't <laughs> <Neither have> I. <laughs> barely make that assessment, but I can say that, sure, like we're learning the basics of this is how an animal body functions, but then here's a whole page of exceptions. And, you know, like this is how when you breathe in, like the air goes through the lungs and you have, you know, two lungs, but then you start talking about, well, how does that differ in birds? And birds have a whole separate thing happening. And then right. like, well, let's talk about you know, marine mammals and their dive physiology. Well, that's, that's way different too. And then you, know, you can talk about, since I mentioned before the kidneys, we'll stay on the kidneys for a second. You know, you have your kidneys and those are helping to essentially concentrate urine, but a cow kidney versus a cat kidney look nothing. I mean, they sort of look similar, but they look nothing alike. A cow kidney is actually more closely like a dolphin kidney and it's um, the, like the globules, like the, like, looks yeah. like it looks like a bag of grapes, basically. I got to do a, a necropsy once and I was like, that's so cool. Exactly. So it looks like a bunch of grapes all put together because you want to increase that surface area. Mm -hmm. And so each small little like nodule has more surface area versus a cat right. kidney. It's more your typical kidney bean shape. So again, you have your basics functions the same. But then here are all here are all the exceptions. Um, so yeah, so veterinary so veterinary school is great. You learn a lot. Everyone says it's like you know drinking out of a fire hose, and then you get to <laughs> and they said, oh, no, that was drinking out of a fire hose. This is actually drinking out of a fire. exactly. It just keeps it keeps building on. Um, but there's a lot of really great opportunities outside of the normal curriculum where you can work on these specialized type things where it's you know in aquatics. So um, there's programs. Um, like CVET and MarVet and AquaVet, um, which, which are, another plug, AquaVets. You did an episode on your podcast for that. We too, did. Talking we to did. We interviewed did uh, Dr. Don Apt, um, who founded AquaVet. Um, amazing, amazing guy. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, those are really great programs you can take over the summer, um, where you can focus more on. Let's just look at fish. Let's look at marine mammals. Mm -hmm. Let's look at turtles. And those are the animals that you're going to have more in, you know, an aquatic setting. Uh, and I mean, there's also not a lot known about those species. Well, some of those species. So, um, you know, when you're talking about sea turtles, again, you have your basics, but have you done this procedure in a sea turtle before? <laughs> no, they yeah. haven't. So how will it go? Is it going to be the same? Is it going to be different? We don't know. Can you do the same drugs? Well, maybe we, but we don't know. So right. there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities outside the normal curriculum to enhance that knowledge, but there's also just a lot we still don't know, which requires tons of research projects and, you know, lots of more thought and information for the future. Which I think is interesting that, that it is so open. There's so much that we don't know. Like we know so much, but there's so much that you don't know that you could do. I'm just going to be a strict vet and that's going to be it. Uh, I can be a vet and I can actually, I want to do the research side of things. Uh, I'm going to be an exotic vet. I'm just, I just want to stay with dogs and cats. I want to do, you know, there's so many avenues that you can take and even combine some of those things together. Like be, be a vet, 
you know, have your own practice, but also do some research there if you wanted to. Exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was so interested in starting my podcast, because I wanted to talk to the people in the field and find out what do they do? Because Mm -hmm. no two people have the same job, even if it looks identical. Like it's just, it's just not different facilities have different research opportunities. And, you know, you can be an aquatic veterinarian and all you do is treat people's pet fish and have a really successful career or which I didn't even know you could pet like treat pet fish. I was just like, well, I have fish. And I'm like, "Mm." you should should be caring for them. You should call your vet if they get sick. Right. But you can do that. You can also just say, all I want to do is work in a research laboratory and I want to use research fish and study how different environmental um, changes in acidity or temperature or whatever affect their inner organs and functionality. And like that is a also available and then change fish for literally any other species that lives in the (laughs) ocean or water lake and like there's a whole other career path so it's it's really exciting that you know veterinary medicine is a huge umbrella and then you get to an even smaller umbrella and you can just talk aquatic medicine and then even within there you can talk about invertebrates and fish and marine mammals and even within there you just you just keep (laughs) going so there's it's exciting because there's lots of opportunities, but it's also a little scary because overwhelming. Um, yeah. yeah, you just, I mean, I want to do everything and I can't. Um, <laughs> right. so. Yeah, sometimes having s- too many choices is not, is not better than having not enough choices. <laughs> but choices, choices are good and it yes. gives people a chance to really pursue what makes them happy because mm-hmm. vet med is a field where, you know, it's not the easiest thing. You have to put yourself through a lot in order to get yourself to a place where you feel that you are successful and happy. And so making sure that you are doing that, which every day you get to work and you say, I love this. This is why I'm doing this. Right. Then that's what you have to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, not a lot of people get to say that about their jobs. Right. And, 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 in, and in the marine mammal field, there is it's there's not a, a huge amount of jobs or at least a huge amount of jobs that can pay anything um to some degree uh because we're all based with a lot of them research and nonprofits and you know grants and things like that but um so it's it, it's it sometimes can be daunting to to try to find that but we're we're i feel lucky in that our age and younger have such so much more opportunities than our predecessors did right even you know because marine mammal field is relatively new compared to other terrestrial ones that have been studied for multiple decades right we're you know 30 40 50 years really that we've been studying these guys so the fact that we even have these opportunities and that they are expanding so much in these last few years um is is really lucky for those of us that are coming up after them yeah, I mean, the field, even just within marine mammals, like marine mammal medicine, Sam mm-hmm. Ridgway is the father of marine mammal medicine, and right. I mean, he's still alive and kicking and doing incredible research, so that just goes to show how young that field is, too. Right. right. <laughs> and I think that's super cool for people to understand, too, that, again, like, you could want to be a dolphin trainer, but you don't have to necessarily go into research if that's not what makes you happy. Because a lot of people, you know, they have that idea, and they think that the only way they can really pursue that in a way that is meaningful is to somehow be a researcher. But that's not really, that's not for everyone. Like you said, it's the same thing where, you know, you have to go through a lot to get there, and there's a lot 
more to that than people realize. So it's really neat to, for I think just to, to make people understand that there are so many different avenues to make, you know, what, what is a meaningful contribution to the field that you want to be in, but also do something that really does, like you said, make you happy and make you feel like you've been able to fulfill that childhood dream of, of being the dolphin trainer or being the, you know, the marine mammal researcher, whatever it was, you know, it's just so neat to hear about all the different avenues that you can use to get there. And you have to know, uh, I tell my students all the time, like you need to find out what you want to do, but just as equally, you need to find out what you don't want to do. Cause you may think that's going to be the coolest thing ever. And then realize that you don't like blood. And then, you know what, vet career is probably not for you. So, <laughs> you know, all those things, like you have to do all those different experiences. And so you can go and say, like, look at fish, look at marine mammals, do all those side things. And that is really helpful to know, yes, I really actually do want to follow that particular path. And it can change over time, but you don't want to go into something and then, you know, halfway through be like, wow, I really don't like this. And I think that's why this field in particular is so great because it offers a lot of internships for college mm -hmm. students when you're trying to figure out what you, what you, what your next steps are and what you want to do. And, right. you know, I do think our field should get slightly better and maybe offer stipends or paid <laughs> internships not going to go onto that whole thing because I know the marine mammal community is having a big discussion about this of late very big one right now yeah, yeah. but it does open the door for more people to take advantage yeah. of those opportunities and if I hadn't have I mean for me like what it came down to is I did an internship at a place called Sankov, um, which is in South Africa. And it's essentially a rehabilitation center for injured penguins and other seabirds. And I went into that just because honestly, a good friend of mine had done her senior thesis research there and said, do you want to go spend a summer playing with penguins for free? And I said, in South yeah, Africa? I want yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, absolutely. The university will fund me to go help penguins. Yes. Yes. So I went down there with an open mind and through that experience of working with the birds and helping, you know, from intake to rehab to release, I realized, wow, this is super cool. I love this medicine thing. And mm -hmm. the vet got to do all these cool things. And any chance I had, I went up to her and I said, please let me, let me help you with anything and everything. I don't care what it is. I will do it. And that was the experience that said, I, I'm really interested in this medicine thing. Like, let's pursue mm. this further. Let's see where this takes me. But if I hadn't have had that opportunity, I might've ended up on the same path, but I might not have, you know, I, I don't know. And I, I had other chances in college as well, where I spent an entire summer um, doing photo ID research with the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program. Incredible. I love them. I thank them so much for helping me to get to where I am today. Mm. And I realized I love field work. I love field work. I love being out on a boat. I love watching for the dolphins, but I can't do that every single day. I don't want to do yeah. photo ID only. I love analyzing yeah. data. Yeah. And yeah. And that's why I'm like photo ID all day, every day. Totally fine. Good to go. <laughs> and it's, su and it's super, super great. I mean, photo ID is so important and it's a great skill, but I, I want to use my hands more in addition mm -hmm. to that. And so that's why I was like, well, vet med, I can still pursue research and I get to do other stuff too. This, right. this seems like a good combination. Let's pursue this. And you know, now I'm in vet school, so I'm a little bit stuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but you'll eventually, you like, you're getting that field work in that you're in the field with the dolphins or whatever animal you're working with, um, you know, out outside the lab, right? You're out there exactly. working with them and doing that. 
Um, and I'm glad you brought up the Sarasota thing because that's the other connection that we have is that actually found out about Connected um, because your paper that you wrote was just on on Marman listserv. Um, so I was like, ooh, that's interesting because um, I'm into social structure. That's my main focus. Um, and you were looking at the um, changes for uh, animals that had been uh, anthropogenic um, injuries, right? So caused by humans and how that changes their, their relationships with the other dolphins. And so that was really intriguing. And then side note, also our friend Katie uh, is is on there and I'm, I worked with her when I was with the Wild Dolphin Project many years ago and now you work with her and so it's all that connection. Like you said before, awesome. Marie Mailer, yeah. Everyone small knows world. Yeah, small world. But uh, yeah, no, that was a, oh, go ahead. No, so tell, yeah, so tell us a little bit about that, how that, how you ended up, is that how you ended up there and how that fits into where you're, where you are now? Yeah, so um, I so I graduated from Princeton, and as part of our graduation requirements, we had to do a senior thesis. Um, the university believed that every single student should be able to graduate having done a research experience. Um, and Which I think is amazing, like, because that's not a normal thing. Usually undergrad, like, nah, it's what you just get your classes and that's it. So to have that is very cool. Yeah, it was you know, when I was a tour guide at school, I would always try to really sell it to my, you know, prospective students. Like, it's a great thing. You get to have this research opportunity and, you know, ownership over it. And it was, I mean, it was incredible experience. I would 100% do it again. The hours staying up at night, analyzing data, right before <laughs> deadlines, you know, those weren't the best days. Um, but I had right. great support networks between my friends and my boyfriend who would bring me lots of tree. I had my little study area and they knew where to find me and it was great. <laughs> but um but yeah, so for my senior thesis research, um, I got in touch with Dr. Randy Wells down in Sarasota, and we came up with this project looking at how do anthropogenic injuries, so those injuries that are human-induced, and we specifically looked at uh, fishing gear entanglement, or just generally entanglements and boat strikes, how does that change the social behavior of the dolphins? Do they interact with different dolphins because they're injured? Do they lose connections? Do they gain connections? And really trying to to bridge my interests, which I don't think I had fully realized at the time, but now retrospectively, I realized, wow, like these are kind of two of my bigger interests, which is behavior and medicine right. and how do they fit together. Uh, and so um, I got to spend a summer down there helping them with their photo ID work. Um, they've got, they actually just celebrated 50 years, 50 years? Yeah. last weekend. So really, really incredible organization. I mean, they have the data set of wild bottlenose dolphins that Pretty much everywhere compares against their study right. set, um, which is which is just an incredible group that I got to be a part of, and um, so for this paper, what we essentially found is that these injuries initially do cause changes in the social structure, and um, for lack of a better terms, their best friends, the dolphins who were injured, their best friends, they they kind of change a little bit and they will lose some of those best friends. But the strongest bonds, so for those listening who aren't necessarily familiar with dolphin social structure, there's kind of like three main social groupings. So one is gonna be a nursery group. So typically you're gonna have a bunch of moms and calves together. Um, and they, they kind of stay like that until the calves grow up and they wean, um, which some could say around like, three, four years, sometimes it's a little bit earlier, sometimes a little bit later, depends. We had a spotted dolphin that was, it was, she was eight. 
So we're something like seven or eight and she was still with her mom. We're like, mm, come on, honey, you gotta, yeah, you gotta move on. Some, you know, some individuals just right, all different. cool about them, right? That, yeah. that every individual is an individual. You have mm-hmm. generalizations, but every individual is different. Um, so we looked at that and then there's these juvenile groups, which are a little bit more fluid. And those are those recently weaned to not yet sexually mature kind of fluid middle group. And then you have your sexually mature groups. Um, and in Sarasota, they have found what are called male pair alliances. And that's essentially when two males buddy up and best friends for life. Pretty much exactly. <laughs> and it's and it's not really quite sure yet why they do this, but it has been noted in, in multiple animals that that they do do this. Um, and so in this paper, what we found is like those specific interactions, so those male pair alliances and those mom calf pairs weren't really affected by the injuries because of how strong they were. Mm-hmm. But the other ones changed a little mm-hmm. bit. But then within two years, the networks kind of repeat. Um, repaired themselves and everyone was I don't want to say happy because that's I don't because that's an emotion we don't know we don't know if they're happy or not right exactly but (laughs) you know they they were able to retain connections that they had prior to injury two years after injury thereby we believe saying that okay their social network appears to be back to a normal-ish level quote-unquote normal right exactly Exactly. which which is really interesting because I mean, it shows that it's almost like, well, we're just going to wait and see if this changes you at all. Okay. Okay. You're still the same. Okay. We can be the same level of friends again. <laughs> like, I mean, and I obviously don't know at all what the dolphins are thinking, but it's interesting that it reduces at the, at the start of it. Like, well, what just happened? Yeah, and then just take some time. Like, oh, okay. There's lots of potential reasons why. And like, that could be one of them. Another could be that injury is considered a sign of weakness. And so do animals want to associate with an individual who might lower their overall fitness? Right. Dolphins, I don't, or I don't know. Attract, attract the shark that's down the way that might exactly. be eyeing you. I mean, and dolphins live in fission-fusion societies, so it's highly fluid anyway. So even right. animals we were looking at with the, quote, best friends, they're still only associating, um, I think the number in our paper was 14% of the time. So their half weight was 0.14 which mm-hmm. was considered a really strong association. Most of these animals, right. the average for the population is like 2% of the time, it's 0.02. So right. when you're thinking about that, like these are transient relationships, but there are individuals who associate with a given individual more often than others. So there are preferential associations of those. How strong are they? It, it very much depends. Oh. Yeah, it's all relative. Exactly. And I think that's an important thing to note, too, because in the world of social structure, you know, if we use these arbitrary numbers saying, this is a strong association, and this is a not strong one. Well, that doesn't mean anything compared to what the base level association is, you know, so if it's only 0.01, well, then if something's 0.5, then yeah, that's a huge difference. But if it was the base level is 0.45, and it's the other one's a 0.5, well, that's not being much of a big of a difference. Right. So it's really taking those into consideration, like what is the base level? And then relative to that, what do these other relationships look like? Exactly. And for, you know, I was just talking about those mom-calf relations and those typically to be considered not yet weaned, those are half weights pretty much over like 0.5. Oftentimes it's like 0.8 to 1.0, which means that 80% of the time to 100% (laughs) of the time, these individuals are seen together. So like those are 
obviously super strong bonds and there's a lot behind you know, the, the physiology and the nutrition and all of that about why a mom and calf would be together. Right. Yeah. And then also going back to the, the behavior part of it, they're learning what they're supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do, what's allowed, what's not allowed in their society. So that time is not simply just nutrition. It's learning how to, it's toddlers learning how to be in society and what you're supposed to do and what you shouldn't do and what might get you killed. For sure. <laughs> yeah. things. So it's, it, it all kind of ties all together, which I love. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's really cool. I was uh, super excited to read that paper and, um, and it's really neat that you were able to marry that, the, the vet side of things with this, the field work and um, not many people get to do that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, well, thank you. It's, uh, you know, it means, it means a lot that people are actually reading it and enjoying it and learning from it. That's the whole point. Oh, that, that, I, whenever, like, when I put my first paper out, I was like, when people responded, like, hey, I'd like to copy this paper. It was just like, oh my God, you do? Okay, that's great. I'm so excited. It yeah, it was a great day when I got to put it on MarMam and I got all the responses. I just, I was like, this, this is a great day. <laughs> that's worth it. Yeah, I've made all, it. The, all those nights and all that, all that work was worth it. <laughs> So you mentioned sure. that um, those are kind of that that paper sort of allowed you to marry, like Cindy said, marry two of your main interests. Um, how do you see marine mammals fitting into your vet career then kind of as you go forward? That's oh, and one thing really quick, the yeah. fact that you published that paper is also huge because you can that do a master's true. thesis, you can do an undergrad, you can do all these theses and never publish them. So it's just, it's impressive that especially as an undergrad, you did it and you published it and got it out there. So just wanted to. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I went into the project knowing that I really care a lot about science and I, I didn't want this to just be a project that was going to, you know, like oh, I did this thing and then it sits right. in the library back at school where all of the theses are. And in you know 50 years, I bring my family there and I say, look at this thing that yeah. I did in college. And, you know, it's, right. it's exciting. But I went into it knowing I want to see this through. Um, and and it's, not, it's not an easy process. So it's, you know. It was not an easy process and I learned that it does take a lot of time, but it also takes um, a lot of support from my advisors and I really mm -hmm. thank them a lot for believing in me and helping me through that and going through endless drafts and the first time when I got it back from the reviewers uh, was not the greatest day in the world. Oh. <laughs> when, when, I, when, I, when I put my master's thesis out for, I was marine mammal science and I put it out there and I got it back and I was like, there's so much red marks. <laughs> like, yeah. It was not, not an ideal day, but I had a great conversation with Katie actually, and she talked mm -hmm. me through it and said, this is normal. It's going right. to be great. We're going to work through this. And within it a year- It makes the paper stronger. It got, yeah, exactly. It made it stronger. They had great comments. And mm -hmm. by, you know, making these changes, we, we got it published. So it was, you know, it was really, it was a great team effort and I'm happy that it's there. And now I get to move on to other, other more exciting things. Um, mm -hmm. But you had a question about marine mammals in my career, so yes. <laughs> let me let me address that. Um, I definitely hope that they are a part of my future career. I think, like, kind of what we were talking about before with uh, with vet med, there are so many doors that you can go through and open, and you don't even know that when you open one door, there are ten more doors down that hallway. Um, mm -hmm. So I definitely want to stay involved in the marine mammal community, but I also realize that. Um, especially within vet med, that is a super small niche within the yeah. larger part of aquatic medicine and then, you know, just vet med in general. And so I'm really just trying to 
keep my options open, take advantage of opportunities as they come at me. And um, I need to, I need to learn more. I'm still in school. There's still so much to learn. And so I'm really trying to focus right now on, I want to learn everything I can about fish. I want to learn everything I can about turtles. I want to learn everything I can about marine mammals. And then there's going to be, you know, so many other things to learn. Um, but I think that if I can eventually end myself up in a place where I get to work with a variety of species and I get to be pursuing research while also getting to be a clinical veterinarian and caring for the well-being of some animals, um, which hopefully will involve some marine mammals. And if it doesn't initially, and then down the road it does, like I, I think that's going to be the goal. Um, but you know, I'll just kind of take opportunities as they come and and roll with it and see see what the next the, what the next thing is. Well, and yeah. that's the, I think that's, that's a great way to go, mm -hmm. for sure. Well, and just to be open, and and when you um, when you hear you know listen to the other Aquadocs uh, podcasts and talk about you know you talk about with them kind of where they got to it, and a lot of times it's definitely not a straight line from A to B. It's like let me circle around the entire globe a couple times and then end up back over here. So, you know, you have to take those doors because you never know where they're going to lead and may end up being the place that you want to be. And that's why I love asking that question to people of how did you get where you are today? Because it really demonstrates that there, there is no right path. Um, and there are so many ways to get to somewhere and that somewhere may not even be where you thought you were going to get, which is... I completely did not expect to be running my own project and have a PhD. Like that was not, I was like, I'm going to get a master's. That's good. That's all I need to do. Da, 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 da. And then through, you know, working at the Wild Dolphin Project and realizing what I really loved what I was doing, then I'm like, well, maybe I should go ahead and get that. And I still wasn't like, I still don't need to have my own thing. And then I worked with some other groups out when I moved out here and, and that didn't quite pan out. And then I was like, you know what, I actually do want to do my own thing because I want to ask the questions and have control over what I'm doing. And so again, I was not expecting to get here, but here I am and I'm happy I'm here. So <laughs> it's taking all those avenues and seeing where they go. Yeah, and what's great about um, our veterinary curriculum is that our fourth year, we get to do preceptorships or externships at different places. And so okay. I'm actually right now trying to organize that year and figure out where do I want to go. And I'm trying to give myself a bit of a variety where I can go work for a month at an aquarium. I can mm. go work at a fish only place. I can go work right. with some marine mammals and, and get that experience and see, I loved this. That wasn't my favorite, but I appreciate what I learned or, right. okay, like I could see myself staying here for 10 more years. And I think like through those, I'll really kind of piece together what, what I want to do. And then I'll probably do something totally different for five years, but <laughs> it'll be great. Like I said before, as long as I get up and say, I'm happy, I've got a smile on my face, let's go. That, that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah. yeah. And I think it circles back to what you were mentioning before, Michelle, too, about you know, doing, having all these opportunities to do different types of work, to learn about different types of animals and learn what you like and then what you, you know, what you don't love as much and having that ability to, like you said, like have those opportunities put in front of you and, and, you know, have the ability in that field to have so much opportunity to explore. Like, I just, I think that's a really great way to, and it's something that's really important for people to kind of think about too. Like there isn't, there isn't one route to get to where you want to go. And like you said, I mean, if you hadn't had certain opportunities, you might not be where you are today. So a lot of times it is those kind of seemingly random options that you just take because it sounds cool for no, for no ulterior motive other than just like, you know what? Yeah, why not? That sounds amazing. 
And those are, you know, a lot of times the ones that end up leading you down that longer path. So it's just, it's another, another thing for people to think about if you are someone listening and kind of an early career scientist or thinking about getting into biology or science or veterinary medicine in any way, like take as many opportunities as you can without overwhelming yourself, you know, like definitely explore your options and don't, that was one thing that one of my advisors said to me in undergrad too, was just, you know, don't box yourself in. Like, even if you want to do marine mammals and you're set on that, that's great, but never turn down an opportunity to learn more because you never know what skills you're going to learn through that. I Super started off with sea anemones, with little hydras. Those are pretty cool. I did a, they're, they're cool. I was basically their caretaker. I made them brine shrimp to eat um, and then did a little, uh, little research on how salinity affected their larval development. But that got me into my advisor that took me on for my master's. And I said, I want to work with dolphins, but I don't really know if I can do that. And he was like, why not? And that that is why I ended up going in my direction that I went with. And he's not, he's a fish person. He's like, Hey, you know, you could do this anemone project. It's all ready for you right here. And I'm like, eh, if I had to, I love microscopes, but if I had to stare into a microscope every day, that would not be for me. Um, and he was the one who helped me and pushed me and, and it got me on the path that I am today. So it all started with, um, anemone. Yeah. And I think that's important to keep in mind with whatever you do. And at least that's what I try to do in vet school as well, because I'm exposed to opportunities to learn about how to palpate a cow. Um, you know, I work in an equine research lab focused on regenerative medicine, which is super cool. I love it, but it was definitely outside my wheelhouse. Um, but I'm learning so much and I love my lab and I love my PI and it's incredible. So just you know, my friends all hope that I am going to come back to school and, you know, want to be a, a cow vet or a small animal vet. They're still rooting for me. Uh, and, I, and I'm definitely trying to get those opportunities and, and learn because like, it's all related. Everything's great. Right. And like we said, the more that you learn, you realize I love this. I don't love it as much, but I really appreciate it. Well, you might make one of those connections where you're doing this one thing in cows and you can end up modifying that or using it on this other animal that you didn't think you could do that with. And that it's a breakthrough, you know, there's all those things you can. Exactly. Those cows, bee cows, everything's related. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I think the last question and before we'll uh, wrap it up here, um, just to kind of put it all together is the podcast. So, you know, you started, a we started the podcast, you started the podcast. We all kind of did it during the pandemic, which <laughs> is interesting. I think for us, it gave us the time that we had we've always wanted to do it but we didn't have the time really to put towards it with everything else going on and if nothing else the pandemic did kind of slow things down a bit to <laughs> some degree um which allowed us the time and now we have our you know is set up and now we can get going um so what made you want to do the aquadocs podcast sure it was something that i had been thinking about for a while and um it actually I mean, the pandemic helped in that it gave me more time, but I wouldn't right. say that it's the reason that I started it. Um, well, yeah, that's the same thing here. We like, we didn't start it because of that, but it just facilitated sure. being able to do it. Sure. I got really interested in a podcast called Zoologic, um, which is hosted by Dr. Gray Stafford. And he talks uh, with various experts in the field of zoos, whether it's people talking about what they're doing at their zoo or new conservation protocols. Um, he's had people talk about training animals. Uh, and so I listened to those and I heard some episodes about 
um, like Ken Ramirez was training animals down, I think it was, I think it was Africa and training the animals to alert the people nearby when they thought that they heard trackers or people coming after them mm. to kill them. And so they train these animals by essentially like when you hear a car sound, do this. And so they started playing car sounds and they trained these wild animals without any type of human contact, how mm. to run away from people coming after them. And what? Right? So, so cool. It's a huge plug for his podcast. You should go listen to the episode. Ken Ramirez is also just an incredible human being. So, like, I was listening to that, and I was listening to another episode where it was with Dr. Hendrik Nolans, who was studying right whales, and they were flying drones trying to catch chuff samples, which is- Was that Snotbot? I don't know if it was exactly Snotbot. Okay, but something similar. Because there's a woman right now out of Canada doing stuff with that with beluga whales. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also super cool. But like, I was listening to all these stories and saying, I have so many questions for these people. I want to talk <laughs> to these people, but I can't. Like, I'm just listening to them. Right. And so that was my thought. And I said, okay, well, why can't I talk to them? Like, I could, I could do this too. This right. is great. Uh, and so I just like from that came up with the idea of, okay, if I want to have these conversations, if I want to learn more, what's something I'm really passionate about that I want to talk with people about and just learn more. And I said, okay, well, I'm really interested in aquatic medicine. And I looked around and I said, well, no one's really doing anything within aquatic medicine to make it accessible for the general audience. Like when you're, when you are a veterinarian, sure, there are conferences, but conferences generally, right. You're presenting your research in this highly formal environment. And then you go out to dinner with some people on the side but you're only chatting with, you know, five, 10 people. And Mm -hmm. so I said, okay, well, if I create a podcast, I can actually personally have these conversations with people that I'm really excited to talk to and really excited to learn from. But then also our conversations can actually just go to anyone and everyone else can learn from it too. And so I figured this is great. This is a perfect opportunity. Let's, let's do it. Um, it. I didn't know a thing about how to do a podcast. Neither and, did we. You know, watched some YouTube videos, kind of just went with it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's been incredible so far. I am so blessed for the support that we have received. We only launched about two months ago right now. And um, we have listeners in 22 countries. And that grows yeah. almost every day. That's um, awesome. And it's, it's just amazing to see that people, people actually want to listen, um, which mm-hmm. is just exciting. Uh, And this is an area where people really want to learn more about. And you've got people ranging from, you know, pre-veterinary students who are trying to figure out, is this really what I want to go into, to veterinary students who are saying, I want to do this, but I don't actually know what's out there. Like, what are the jobs available? What are people, what are people doing? I I don't really see them in my day-to-day because our courses aren't necessarily taught by these people. And then you have actual, you know, veterinarians who are in the field who are listening to this and then people like yourselves who you know you study free mammals maybe you don't you don't do vet med but you're still interested in the topic you can still think about this mm-hmm. and say wow like I've never thought about it that way that's super cool so it's been it's been a great way to for me individually to work on how how do I talk with people and mm-hmm. um, help frame a story where I get to learn something, but also everyone else is also learning something. 
And what they're learning is interesting, useful material that oftentimes has conservation implications. And so I'm always trying to figure out ways, how can a person listening make a difference in their community or the global community? And sometimes that's a little bit harder, um, but sometimes it's, it's really easy for just, you see a stranded sea turtle or stranded dolphin, call this number. Yeah, you know who to call. To make a difference. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been really great and I'm so excited with where it's been and I can't wait to see where it keeps going. I know I'm excited every week for who you're going to talk to next because it's pretty awesome. But I, I think what we hope with our podcast too is that you were bringing the science communication, which is a, a huge topic in all science right now. Right? We, we scientists, us as scientists need to be better at talking to people who are not scientists and make these things interesting. And you're one of the latest ones on your podcast was that storyteller episode about, you know, bringing that to life. And we've, in the Wayne Rammel conferences, every conference now has had a big thing about science communication and how can we tell our stories. And, you know, our idea for our podcast is things like this. And also we review papers. And so we're trying to like, let's talk about this paper, but not in the technical sense. Let's talk about it and what it means and why it's important and why, why are we even looking at this in the first place? And like you said, make it interesting um, and show people that science is can be fun and interesting and and communicate that to people so that they have a better knowledge and can actually go out and do stuff and help and conserve and share their information with other people. So I think the science communication part of this type of um, format is really great. Yeah, because when you give people a story, you you listen to it, you remember it, and that's what gets you to actually make a difference, drive change, or just think about something. Like even if there's no call to action, just, wow, that was really interesting. I'm going to change my perspective on that, or I'm going to think about that a little bit more today. And, and yeah, that's and, so important. And maybe it doesn't change your, even that day, maybe it's just sticks there and it's in the back of your mind. And then over time, other things add up and you go, Oh, you know what? I'm going to shift and do this, or I'm going to make this different decision. So and that's one of the things that I really like. I personally really love with your podcast, Michelle, is just the, the diversity of people that you have on there and the diversity of topics, you know, all kind of within the one, context but equally like just having so many different types of people from all those different backgrounds it's just super interesting to listen to what again whether you're into veterinary medicine or not it just it's really fascinating just to learn from those people and just hear those different perspectives too so that's definitely something that i really appreciate about the podcast i think that's awesome well Mm -hmm. thank you yeah i really try to to change things up every week uh, to keep everyone on their toes myself included uh, but also, <laughs> to go back to what we were talking about before, there are so many paths that you can take, and there's so many people working, you know, within the veterinary community, within the aquatic veterinary community, that oftentimes we just see, oh, the, you know, the vet at the major aquarium who is caring for all these animals. But, but that's such a small subset of who's actually out there. And so it's, it's a chance to, for people also to get to be proud of themselves and, and share mm-hmm. their message with the community. And I always make sure that um, when I'm speaking with people, I will, you know, I have a list of questions that I will ask them, but I always end that with feel free to edit this as you want. Like, this is your chance to tell your story, your research. Like I want this to come from you because at the end of the day, that's, that's important. Sure. I want to have a great conversation with them. I want to learn from them. I want to put their message out there, but it, but it comes from their passion and their interest in this is what I'm excited about. And when they're excited, everyone else will be excited too. Absolutely. That comes through. I mean, I, I teach biology and stuff. You know, it's one of the things that students say. It's like your enthusiasm for the subject can really grab people and, and bring them in, even if you were not interested in fish veterinary science before. But like 
I mean, I never thought about it before. And obviously I'm a, a more of aquatic person, so I'm interested in that respect, but just, you know, talking about all the different fish stuff that that uh, doctor was able to go through and go see and, and what that means. It's just very cool. I think so. so where can, where can everybody find your podcast, Michelle, and find you on social media and go listen to Aquadox? Yes. Yeah, so we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and if you just search for Aquadox, which is A-Q-U-A-D-O-C-S, uh, you'll be able to find us. Um, we're also on Facebook. If you just look for Aquadox Podcast and Twitter and, and Instagram, I try to do all the social media things. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we have a website, aquadoxpodcast.com. So if you just remember the name and if you can't remember anything else and you're like, I think it was a podcast. If you put the two together, you'll probably find us. And you Perfect. know you found it because you found this really cool, there, the logo, which is a, the outline of a dolphin. And then the fluke, the tail is actually like little stethoscopes that reach at the top, which I, I just love. Well, thank you. That was, it came to me one day and I said, this is it. This is what it's going to be. It's perfect. It still makes me smile. So we did, we did the right thing there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, I think that will be, uh, covers it for the, for today. And we're so excited. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming to talk to us and so uh, sharing everything. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed being here with you guys. Awesome. Well, we will be back uh, next week sometime with uh, something else. I'm not sure if we're doing a Marine Mammal Highlights or a review paper. We, we kind of leave it up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise so you have every... to tune in to find out. Right. Surprise our Just listeners. Just leave you on a cliffhanger. <laughs> but be sure to come back to us and then also go check out Aquadocs uh, to see what she has in store for you next week as well. Yeah. So we'll see you guys later. Bye. 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 This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks!